If we have not met yet, I'm Shay Ryanga, one of the pastors here, and it is always a privilege and a blessing to get to worship with you. We are kicking off, not kicking off, this is week three of our This is Christmas series. And we started, we kicked off a few weeks ago with talking about tradition, and then we talked about children last week because it's just tough to think about Christmas even if you don't have kids, without thinking about children. And we're talking about trees, a little bit about trees and ornaments uh, this morning. And I promise you, I'm not going to talk about a Christmas tree all morning. Um, But we're embracing all things Christmas. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And uh, we're going to get into one of those tougher parts of the Bible. And I'm just giving you forewarning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. And uh, I am going to read it, forgive me, um, because I, I don't know, if you were here last week, we watched this funny little video of kids retelling the Christmas story that's really cute and adorable and fun. So if I get to a, a word or a name that's really difficult to pronounce, I may have to stutter like a child this morning. So um, we'll try to have a little fun with it because... Uh, it'll be a little tricky to get through. So my challenge to you this morning is I'm going to read it a little fast when we get to Matthew chapter one. Try to find some patterns or irregularities because there's there's as much in God's word in the form and the way that it's communicated as, as there's as much meaning and significance there as is from the people and the words and the, the actual genealogy itself. So... So we're talking about trees, and there's, a, there's an image of Queen Victoria. That's Queen Victoria and her husband. And that image, believe it or not, 1846, London News. This image, believe it or not, is really the cause of Christmas trees going mainstream in America. Up until this point, it was spotty, the practice. Um, We get this story from Martin Luther in the 16th century. He's really the first one, that reformer Martin Luther, who is walking home one night, the story goes, having worked on a sermon and he looks up at the sky and he sees, he sees the stars through the trees and, it, it, and he, just, he thinks of Psalm 8, that psalm that was part of our prayer just a moment ago. He thinks of Psalm 8 and he's just so thankful and it appears like the lights are in the trees. And so he's inspired, the story goes, he puts the tree up in the middle of his living room with lighted candles. So not a fire hazard at all. But like, I don't know how... I don't know, like that's where the story is like, really? How does, how does that even work? Lighted candles. Um, so anyway, Martin Luther's the first one in our sort of church history, figures in church history to do it. it you know, who knows the, the real genesis of that. But I, I've got some fun facts for you about Christmas trees because you always wanted to know about Christmas trees. Um, the best-selling trees are Scotch pine, Douglas fir, Fraser fir, balsam fir, white pine, so pine and fir trees. Um, the, high, the most prolific states to produce Christmas trees for us in the states, California, Oregon, Michigan, Washington, Washington Wisconsin, North Carolina, kind of a su- little surprised by that. 25 to 30 million real Christmas trees sold in the U.S. each year. Tallest tree believed to be 122 feet 22 feet, 91 years old. It's a Douglas fir in Woodenville, Washington. 
we think. We'll see. President Calvin Coolidge starts the whole White House ceremony, cool cow. So there you go. But, but I know because of a show of hands when we kicked off this series a couple weeks ago, we're not a lot of real Christmas tree folks in the house, right? We, we do the fake trees more often than not, I think, in Texas. I think it's fair to say. So Teddy Roosevelt would be very proud of you because Teddy Roosevelt sees like the Christmas tree and bans them environmental concerns, like he, he, he took out all the Christmas trees in the White House. So Teddy Roosevelt was not a fan of the Christmas tree being in the White House. So there's some fun facts for you about the Christmas tree. Um, again, real vague on the origins, not really sure of there's no greater meaning, right, to the Christmas tree. But what the Christmas tree and the way we decorate it with ornaments is, I think, come to mean and come to symbolize the loved ones we remember, we have the remembrance tree just right outside the chapel. So sometimes those ornaments that we hang have significance. Sometimes it's, it's silly to see your first grade ornament and that we still keep those things. I don't know about y'all. I, we just moved and we're in the midst of unpacking. And thankfully, I, was, I thought I'd have to wear running shoes for you this morning because um, it was tough to find shoes but found the Christmas decorations and haven't busted them out yet. And it's always that negotiation every year. Can we get rid of some of this stuff? Because it accumulates over the years. But the time spent, even if the de- decorations aren't that significant, if, even if they're, they're not meaningful, like the time that we spend with each other to do those things, to remember our loved ones, I think that ultimately is what's really important. That's how God's love is reflected. And so if the tree itself doesn't have meaning, it's the way in which we spend time with each other. So even though the origins of the Christmas tree are uncertain and a little foggy and fuzzy and unclear, what is pretty certain is that the tree referred to in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 1 uh, through 2, chapter 11, 1 and 2, definitely not a fir tree, definitely not a white pine, most definitely an olive tree. And olive trees are, are interesting. They're really unique and interesting olive trees. They're, they, they live a long, long life. Like if, if any of you have ever been to the Holy Land, like some of the olive trees in the Middle East are thousands of years old. They date these things like before Jesus. Even the Garden of Gethsemane, some of those trees are, have been around a long, long time. They're very prolific in how they bear fruit. They bear fruit when they're really, really, really old. There's some old olive trees in Eastern Europe that have been dated like to 1600. They know it's, they're at least 1600 years old and some of them are still abundant abundant in their, in, in their fruit production, even that old. Another cool thing about olive trees is they're pretty indestructible. So disease, fire, frost, you chop them down, cut them in half, and they regenerate. So it's common to see these weird wide-based olive trees because they've just regenerated and grown over time. So that is the kind of tree that is being referred to in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. And Isaiah invites us to consider the symbol of this olive tree as we think about genealogies and family trees. So this, this branch from Jesse 
And Jesse is David's dad, King David's dad, which ends up being the line that Jesus is from as we're going to get into Matthew chapter 1. So here we go. I'm going to kind of read fast. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of of Hezron, Hezron father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminabad, dad, 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 the father of Nation, Nation the father of, I'm just going to say Salmon because, you know, that's how a kid would probably pronounce it if, anyway. Um, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. That's two sets. All right, one more. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, and the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, father of, of Akim, Akim, Elihud, Elihud, Eli, Eliezer, father of Mathen, Mathen, father of Jacob, Jacob. Here we go. Father of Joseph, husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So you want me to read that again? All right. We like to skip over these types of passages because what... what possible significance. There's a lot of tough names. Not a lot of inspiration for baby names out of Matthew 1, 1 to 17. So three generational histories. Three generational histories, and we see this kind of movement. So let's try to unpack this a little bit. We see a kind of ascendancy in the first one, right? As we start with Abraham, we, we end with King David in that first one. But notice before even the genealogy starts, Fathers and sons and, you know, how genealogies go. Right there at the very beginning. Genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. I think that's, that's significant. That's important because David's like way far in, in, into the years, like generations upon generations after Abraham. And yet, son of David is the first, is the first connection we're supposed to make. The title is really, really important for Matthew as we consider that Jesus is a king. May not look like it, may not be the king like King David that Israel really was hoping for, 
but we, we've got to be very, very clear. Matthew wants us to associate Jesus is forever king. He's the source of all authority. He's the, he's the authority we are called to worship and adore. And in any sense that we have authority, it must come from the Lord. So it's important for us to understand of all the titles, of all the names, that Jesus is king. He's the son of David. And he's also the son of Abraham. He is the pure and spotless lamb, not Isaac. You know, Isaac was offered, it wasn't Isaac who was sacrificed. Jesus comes to end this sacrificial system once and for all. We are to understand in Jesus as a son of Abraham that, that something is being revealed here in terms of Israel's history and that, that at the same time, at the same time Jesus is the, the giver of the promise to bless the nations, to, to be that, that line whose descendants are as countless as the sands of the sea and the catalyst. He's, he's the giver of this promise, but he's, he's also the catalyst to fulfill that promise, to expand that promise to the ends of the earth. So it's really important, the son of David, son of Abraham, it's kind of a summary if we don't want to get in the weeds of all the names. It's a kind of summary for what's happening here in the telling of this genealogy. And we see in that first one, Again, Abraham to King David. So there's an ascendancy. There's this movement towards the good old days when King David was on the throne and, and Israel was well represented amongst their neighbors. The glory days of King David. And then in that second generation from King David or Solomon to Jeconiah, there's a trajectory in the opposite direction. There's one movement of triumph to King David, and then there's a movement towards loss of disobedience and captivity in Babylon. There's this movement of loss, and so much has been lost. And then in the third generation, we see from Jeconiah to Jesus, this movement of restoration is happening. That, that in the Messiah, there's this movement that who Jesus is, he's shattering a bunch of categories. These categories of land and temple and, and what Israel is. He is the temple. He is the long-awaited king. He is the promise of the land. He is. He is. And so all these categories and this understanding of Israel and her history, those definitions and those meanings broaden. They become something different. In order to understand Israel's history, we have to understand this part of the family line, Jesus as the Messiah. So we see all of this that, that Jesus represents Israel's story and yet transforms her understanding of herself. We see all this in part by who's gathered around the ancestral family Christmas table, let's just say. So let's imagine, let's imagine this bunch around the Christmas table. And I invite you to think about maybe a couple weeks from now or maybe just a week from now. Gosh, what day is it? Yeah, less than two weeks. Y'all families getting together for Christmas and what that's like. 
sometimes it's hard to include our own family for Christmas, isn't it? Because there's some colorful personalities. It has nothing to do with the lights and decorations, and it's a it's a tough it's it's a tough dinner to get through for some of us because it's the one time a year we have to put up with what? Fill in the blank. That relative, that person, that behavior that's just exhausting. Sometimes it's hard for us to include our own family at Christmas. And we only go three to four generations deep if you just think about our own, you know, Christmases and gatherings. And I don't know if you know anything about your genealogy. I don't know much about mine. I'm very Dutch on both sides of the family. That's it. That's all I really know. So I can't really imagine what it would be like for like, if you think about your ancestors coming over, if, if we can imagine that. Um, oh, what I would give to sit at this table of Jesus's ancestors around Christmas, if you can imagine that. You got Father Abraham who uh, at, at two different times talks about Sarah, his wife, as his sister, gets him into all kinds of trouble. It's, it's unusual. You got Jacob, who's just a, a little thief and betrays his dying and blind father for, for a blessing, right? You've got David, and we think of David, maybe mature David. He becomes this man after God's own heart, but he's he's kind of a ruthless bandit and unites the tribes of Israel um, through murder. We probably don't know much about Rehoboam, um, but Rehoboam was the son of Solomon and all the gains of David and the glory of Israel and that Solomon more or less maintains is pretty much lost in that next, that next generation with Rehoboam out of his greed and his arrogance. He, all that was gained gets pretty much lost or Ahaziah, however you say his name, Ahaziah, the son of King Ahab, and you, you might remember Ahab and Jezebel. They make life for Elijah very, very difficult. Ahaziah is Ahab's son, and he's just as sadistic and evil as his dad. These folks win a position in the line leading up to Jesus. Man. And then there's four surprises, right? If you're thinking about any patterns that you may have seen or some irregularities in that family tree that are highlighted for us in, in a time and place when royal lines of succession are always just men, well, there's four women that are critical to fulfilling God's promise leading up to Jesus. There's four women's names mentioned. And I invite you to read their stories. They, if you do read their stories, it may shock you. Because again, if they were at the dinner table, they're going to, again, um, we, we could say Jesus' family is a little rough around the edges. His family tree. Or maybe even sharp or jagged around the edges. Their stories may shock you that they're in Scripture they don't have the family bloodline to rely on either. They represent this kind of inclusion from the beginning that Israel, the promise to Israel wasn't to just be a closed off nation, but to be again, a blessing to all the nations. And they represent that. They have to use their wits and creativity in, in their position. And they are included in the family not because of their bloodline, because of how they responded 
in faith. They are included, and that's surprising that they're included. So we look back at this structure, right? We're told there's 14 generations, 14 and then 14 and then 14 is, is how this passage ends, right? This nice pattern, um, 14, of course, a multiple of seven, so a number that represents completeness, right? But if you actually do the counting, if you count the names, it's 14 and then 14 and then 13 names in the third group. It's kind of interesting. There's 13, but then, you know, verse 17 says there was 14 generations, there was 14 generations, and there was 14 generations. But if you actually count the name, that third group, there's 13. It begs the question, who's the 14th generation? Who is the 14th generation? You know, some questions, some of our most significant questions like we think about Christmas and coming, getting together and all the different family members, right? You know, sometimes when we get together, we remember very, very difficult times. We're reminded of who isn't there and who we wish was there. And we carry with us, I think, in life a lot of questions, a lot of whys, significant. We think at least very, very significant questions. And sometimes... You know, we don't get the answer until the end, at least hopefully on the other side, right? We'll, we'll eventually get the answers to the questions, our most profound questions that we have. Or maybe we'll realize in that moment that it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sometimes we don't get the answers that we seek. But in this case, this question that's begging, who, who's the 14th generation? Who's, who concludes Jesus' family tree, we actually get an answer, but it's at the end. It's at the end of the gospel of Matthew. So here at the very, very beginning, we're given a genealogy, and we're not given the answer to this question till the very, 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 very end. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the 14th generation to complete this series, it's you. You complete the family tree. The church completes the family tree of Jesus. We are adopted into and grafted into the definition of Jesus's genealogy. We complete the family tree. According to Matthew, you know, Jesus's family tree matters because it's a summary of our salvation history that we're a part of. This genealogy matters as difficult as it is for us to understand and read. Like it, it matters be, because it invites us to think, to reconsider our family, who our family really is, how we treat our family. The, the family tree matters because it doesn't just highlight Jesus's humanity, but it, but it shows like he really belongs to us. He really identifies with our crazy circumstances and how crazy we think our, our, our own family is because he's from a sorry lot of folks. 
Like he belongs to us and he comes to help us so we can fully put our hope and our trust in him. Like his family tree matters because it invites us and it challenges us to reconsider, you know, those definitions and those boundaries we put up in our own lives. So in thinking about Jesus's family tree, we get maybe the general significance of it. What, what, what might, how might that help us this Christmas as some of our crazy family comes over and as we meet? How might this genealogy, how might this, this image of a tree speak to what we're about to do? And I think for some of us, man, we've got severed relationships. We've cut off some people in our lives. And the Lord's really calling us to, to allow those branches of the tree to grow back. We've put that off because of that one thing that was done a long, long time ago, or maybe it's a recurring thing. And it's just time. It's time, you know? Or maybe the reverse is the case. Like maybe because of how close they are, because they're blood or because they're friends so close that are like family, that hard decisions and hard truths have to be made. We've put that off and put that off and enabled and, and before too long, we, we've got to deal with it. And so maybe for some of us, we, we've got to prune a little bit. And there's some relationships we have to cut off for healing, for health. And as hard as that is, it's like an olive tree. You know, it's addition by subtraction. <laughs> Eventually, the branches will grow back eventually. And we think about that dinner table. I don't know, do y'all have places that you sit around your Christmas table? My, my folks, we, we go over to my folks for Christmas and they have this big old Amish, some Amish craftsmen made it. I swear that the table will last through the apocalypse. It's just so substantial. We've had it forever. It'll, it'll last forever. And everybody, when they come over, kind of they got their spot, they know, you know, everybody, it's sort of like church. You got your, your pew or your chair. Does everybody sit a certain place? And we gather around the table. And we have one of those, it's a big old table, but it's also expandable, you know? It's got those leaves. You can add leaves to expand it. You got, you know, you know what those are? Um, it's funny when we see Jesus. Like when Jesus comes over for dinner and is having meals, all the leaves come out. All of them. Just like in his presence, like people know they belong. It isn't because like he's physically attractive or because he, he's from like, he has this social status that people want to associate with. Like they just, they feel like they belong. You know, he invites the orphans and the widows and the lonely. He invites you. He invites scoundrels and liars and cheats that are in his own family, right? All the leaves come out. Everybody wants to be there. So a challenge for us maybe as we think about this genealogy, as we think about being adopted into the family of God, who might you add a leaf to your table for this Christmas? Who might be a new addition to the family tree? Will you pray with me?
Holy Lord, we are so thankful that you've called us. You've called us your sons and daughters. We are men and women gathered here as a, in, in fulfillment of, of a promise that you gave a long, long time ago to people we don't really know. And we're part of this lineage that's amazing. It's hard to understand, but God, you've adopted us into your family. And so help us carry your light, carry your word, and, and be that extension into this world as we are, we are your presence and we carry your spirit wherever we go. Help us carry a presence of invitation. Help us carry a presence where the people we encounter understand that they belong. They belong. And God, we just pray that you continue to increase, increase the size of your family and use us to do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.